You're listening to The RC, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. Welcome to this week's, this month's, this year's RC Ultimate Podcast covering digital cinematography. Uh, in this, the ultimate episode of the RC, we'll be covering a whole lot of stuff, looking back from the, the origins of the RC and uh, where things are going looking forward. Obviously, the RC uh, is the podcast where we discuss basically stuff around tech, cinematography, camera tech, all the stuff that we've been looking at, filtering, reading about, blogging about, and yes, some of those serious rat holes that we're famous for. This is the camera tech we obsess about. We wanted you to join in the conversation, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jason Wingrove. Hello. How are you? Good, Jason. Nice how are you? to be back in the pods. In, in the person. pods. Well, we have had an enormous number of emails of people complaining <laughs> about uh, the fact that, uh, that you and I have been very busy and haven't been doing the RC podcast. So uh, yes, we are. it's true. We have a life. We, we aren't going to change the format uh, going into next year rather radically. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. Uh, but for now, um, let's put to rest the rumours that you and I are having um, a hissy fit fight <laughs> or that uh, you have, in fact, eloped uh, um, or that uh, we have uh, decided to um, do anything else. Well, not with you, anyway. No. Nope. It's all true. So, it's so, all true. It's all true. It's all so, true. Uh, yeah, so Jason and I r- remain uh, as interested and always in the subject, uh, as interested always in talking to you. It's just not been possible with schedules and, uh, and various other things. I literally got back uh, from being overseas for two weeks, like about two or three days ago. You have been shooting like a banshee. And yep, yep. Been pretty much been a quite good busy year, actually, with a few clients. It's been uh, lovely. Been a good creative year. So, yeah, I can't complain, but yes, the podcasting does tend to go on the back burner, the burner behind the back burner. Well, yes, we we, we moved the podcast to being monthly in the hope that we'd be able to be more reliable, but then um, the months... uh, It was pure folly. But we do love you, dear listeners, and so what we want to do is uh, give you this end of 2015 uh, podcast, and obviously at the end of the year, it's a good time, Jace, to kind of uh, reflect and work out where we are. So... Where do we think we are in terms of uh, cinematography? So what's the sort of the state of the art? What's the line in the sand? Where are we at now? Well, digital is done and dead. Everyone's shooting on film oh, now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, film good. is the new yeah. digital. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. I think, uh, yeah, if you're shooting digital, you are, you know, that's, you're behind the times and clearly old school. Let's, and, uh, let yeah. me just ask you right out of that. Have you seen the new Star Wars? Indeed. A couple of times. 3D what, and 2D. Did you see it in 70 millimeter? No. I did. Of course you did. I thought it looked really good. So you saw room. this at an IMAX? An IMAX in the back row. The huge, big IMAX? Big IMAX, biggest in the world, 70 millimeter projected film. So you had to book ages ahead. I booked it months ago. Because the only good place to sit is like top back five rows or so. Yeah. In fact, I would say the back row is the absolute sweet spot. And it's, I know that because when the Paramount and Fox executives book for screenings of, like we go to um, industry or other press preview screenings yeah those seats that i was in are the ones that are booked by the executives and so i booked their seats and i understand it's a very hard thing to build but it's a pretty badly built cinema in so much as i mean if you want to surround yourself in an in, in an imax aquarium where you fill your vision that's great but if you want to actually watch a film, watch a film, film yeah, where you, you want to see that. framing and yep. get that sort of sense. You don't want to have your whole peripherals filled. No. Then it's quite, you know... But the reason I bring this up hard. is not to discuss Star Wars trivia. We have entire other podcasts for that. No, it's yes, to discuss the fact do. that it was 70 millimeter, And, of course, there were parts of uh, the Star Wars film that were shot 
on film on IMAX. So you did, did the classic Dark Knight changing of no, format no, thing? No, it, no, uh, I think it was the same size the whole way through. Okay. And I think they'd up stuff and, and change it. What was interesting, though, is that uh, I believe I saw more than you did in the sense that you've got a cropped version at a normal cinema, whereas I had an aspect ratio that required more frame. Yeah, does that make sense? So like if oh. you saw a ship cut top and bottom, yes. I would have air top and bottom around it. But, I mean, they were shooting 235, they were shooting... You know, Panavision scope ratio for probably I don't know ninety percent of the film. What did they shoot? What did they shoot seventy mil? I'd love to. Um, well, I know they shot a lot of the stuff. You know, the um, Millennium Falcon. Uh, this piece of junk. All right, we'll use this piece of junk flyaway sequence. Yeah, I think a lot of that stuff in the beginning of the film mm-hmm. was shot. I don't know why they just opted to change to that format for that particular scene. I don't know, but I've mm. got to say, interesting. Okay. More details will come out as the filmmakers are allowed to talk more about the film. I just knew that it would be one of the last occasions I'd have to watch a film in 70mm, given that even that projector is coming out. In the United States, if you listen to this and one of our friends from America, there are only 13 cinemas in the US that are projecting the 70mm print. So it really is kind of a nostalgia trip. The thing is, though, when you look at film, it is softer. It is less... It has a different aesthetic. It's not better or worse, but it's Mm. definitely different. I don't know, and I don't think there's anything really that the audience notices. I don't know. I mean, I think it was a it was a great. Uh, I think well, obviously it was a conscious choice from JJ to uh, to undo all the ills of the past. And one of the first one would be you know with 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 the look of the original one where they shot you know episode one etc. Undo the ills, i.e. episode one, two, three. Uh, which was generally shot on... And yet that F900... On the bleeding edge of digital at the yeah, time. But that F900 was the, you know, the turning point of digital cinematography introduction. I mean, when, when Star Wars decided to go digital, um, it was revolutionary. It was maybe, you know, not your favourite films, but it was a really big turning point in the move to digital cinematography. Yeah, it was... Um but obviously, it was something that he wanted to undo. Let's let's not do. Let's let's get away from CG as much as possible. Let's let's shoot on film. Let's have as much impact. as much practical as possible. Let's step back to the original trilogy way of doing things. Um, I was I was impressed with every part of it. All the effects, everything felt analog, felt real, felt in camera, even when it wasn't. Um, and it was. Uh, you know, so it was a lovely. It was a lovely step. I don't know. I don't know whether necessarily film is softer. I'm sure you can uh, grade and sharpen either to look like either these days. Um, yeah, I I really do think that if you start pulling up a piece of film and looking at it, like I do, it does look grainy and soft. Um, I'm not saying necessarily 70 mil is grainy and soft. It depends what you're comparing, of course. Yeah. What's interesting to me though is is as we're sitting here now, we've got uh, the red. Uh, weapon carbon fiber about what a month or two away from getting you know the sort of the vista vision level 8k sensor in it and that camera is you know month away in inverted commas well okay i'm going to call you out on that in a sec but that whole camera is i'm going to say one eighth the size of the imax camera that they were shooting on star wars i mean it's it is still a you know a red you know small box camera mm. that will be shooting 8k vista vision and then the you know we're talking full frame 
um, cinematography in a, yeah. in a tiny uh, deliverable. Now, getting back to your yeah. other point about calling out red, yeah. if we have been, uh, I think, accurate in calling out red in the past for sucking on delivering, as we sit right now, Ari is late. Um, you know, uh, red Black is pretty is much late. delivering. Black magic is late, and red is actually delivering. In fact, as it, we sit here right now, Sony red is, is the, pushing out stuff too early. Yeah, red is actually looking pretty good. Red has made a dramatic transformation. Now, maybe it's just the swings and roundabouts. Um, maybe it's that they learned to not predict, uh, sorry, um, promise stuff that they couldn't deliver because they'd even developed it. But you'd have to say right now, red is uh, not the company that you would point to as the one that are um, uh, failing in shipping dates. Well, I guess clearly they're clearly. I'm gonna. S- say stab in the dark that they are hurting that they have now launched uh in fairly quick succession two new models that are designed to be budget in inverted commas uh versions um the raven and uh is it uh, scarlet w whatever it is yep um trying to you know combat uh the sales i'm you know what what uh, it's great that they're doing ProRes, but the ProRes is only 2K. No, it's 4K. On the on the carbon fiber, it's 4K. Yep. Dual record 4K. ProRes. ProRes. Okay. I was playing with it yesterday. Okay. Well, I wasn't playing with the, the ProRes per se. So I was playing with the carbon. Okay. Yesterday. Well, maybe the specs as I was I was I've been researching are uh, perhaps the, the out of date. The depending on your camera. Depends won't do 4K. On, yeah, see, this is what sort of bugs me. It's this sort of sliding sort of class system of, you know, depending on <laughs> you just, uh, you can't, I, I guess it comes down to my issue of that, um, the hanging on to proprietary, very, very expensive, overpriced proprietary mediums, rather than going what they should have done, if they really are hurting, if they're, if they need to, you know, get some sales happening, uh, apart from shipping stuff when they say and not moving the goalposts, uh, they should be, uh, you know, making the barrier to entry for 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 the media a lot less. Going to say CFAST two, um, or or or, or um, QXD or any any of the other sort of formats that'll give them reasonable reasonably similar data rates uh, without having to have this crazy sticker shock of the amount of media. You know, under the guise of that we were trying okay, to protect, we're trying to protect your, that's we're trying to protect your 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 rushes with, with you know sec- super secure, stable, ultra mil spec. Uh, okay, we're just getting data. back to the the uh, the recording for a second. Weapon six K carbon fiber is going to record obviously six K, um, but it's going to simultaneously record ProRes four two two HQ up to four K at uh, thirty frames a second or four two two non HQ. Uh, similarly, up to uh, 30 frames a second. Um, if you want to go like to 120 frames a second, well, yeah, then you are down at ProRes 2K. But that's all. Not only is that recording ProRes, uh, Jace, but it's recording ProRes with some pretty impressive LUTs on it to give it a really nice look into your dual record. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I'm like, uh, and I think we split here in the sense that I'm really interested right now in the technical stuff and I'm really loving it. And I think you're, you've got some more operational, almost business concerns about data um, expense. I mean, yeah, well, stuff, yeah. I mean, I guess you've got, 
Yes, it's it's the same complaints we've had all along. It's um, the barrier to entry. There's a lot of people who, when the, when the uh, weapon first launched, you basically did the math and said, "Yeah, I can't do this because the even the cost of the cost of swapping over your media alone um, to the mini mags and things, and the cost of mini mags, uh, and the increase in the fact that you have to go with higher higher um, higher capacity mini mags because you're going to you know 6K etc. was just it's just way too much. It's it's it was a it was a Obviously, they reinvented the wheel. They they democratized digital and brought it to the masses and uh, lowered lowered the price of entry. But then once that price of entry started and once the revolution and the, the ball was rolling, then it's been a slow jack-up to... Um, Try and uh, you know extract m- maximum amount of money from people with the I, I don't think it's stealth the versions and titanium yeah. versions no, and woven carbon fiber. This is the this is the is the Lamborghini model of, of yeah, but, but can I just extreme say, I pricing yeah. from for for paying for um, aesthetics and aesthetic aesthetic one-upmanship and um, perceived right, let's say that the perceived carbon, let's say the carbon is around sixty grand right ish. Right down at the other end at the Raven, um, you've got an entry. As it's admittedly, it's a brain only for six grand, um, but it's ten grand if you've got kind of a sensible kind of package. That's shooting four and a half k and up to whatever it is, one hundred twenty frames a second. Um, do you think that the Raven? Can we just look at that end of the spectrum for a second? Do you think that like a four k or four point five k camera that's you know kicking in at around the ten grand mark with? Um, without all of the bells and whistles that you're talking about, without the opportunity to go to 8K and without the uh, dual record um, uh, ProRes, is that competitive? Sure, but does it exist? The Raven? Does the Raven camera, is that your question? Does it exist? Can I buy it? Uh, yeah. Is it shipping? I, I Estimated to begin shipping in March 2016. Okay. Okay, so basically it doesn't exist. <laughs> when it exists, we'll talk about it. Okay, so meantime, at the other end, in the forgive me for being a little bit, and at the other end of the carbon fiber end, yes, uh, the Ari Alexa, yeah, that sensor has not really changed in. I mean, it's a really great camera and it's yeah. a really great sensor, but the yeah. sensor is theoretically yeah. well, well due for a rev. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure. I, w- I mean, people people sort of theorised that that that. This April, we were going to see something, but we never we really did. We saw, you know, things like the Alexa Mini and sort of um, evolution rather than revolution. But I'd be hard to imagine that we wouldn't see um, some sensor size bumps and with the same technology, but just higher resolution uh, for for you know, I guess NAB or pre NAB. Because the NAB we've just well not just had had in April the oh. NAB twenty fifteen. We had the Alexa S, uh, SXT, SXT um, which we're still not seeing, right? And that's 4K ProRes, two options, blah, 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 blah. But we haven't seen that. We haven't seen the super extended recording uh, Ari Alexa, have we? We've still just got... I don't believe so. There's plenty of minis out there. Alexa minis are taking over. Rental, uh, very popular does, in rentals. Does that make sense very to you? Like, I, I think that's a really expensive camera, that mini. You, you in... I mean, it's an Alexa, and Alexa is a really valid yeah. brand. But yeah. would you want a Mini? Uh, yeah. Well, the fact that you can still you can shoot, uh, uh, it's it's you know you can still do the ProRes. Uh, it's quite small. 
uh, beautiful form factor, the classic Alexa, the Alexa look, dynamic range. But isn't that camera getting close to a uh, carbon? It's certainly like close to magnesium in price, right? Like it's pretty bloody expensive. Uh, yeah. And there's no real upgrade path on it. I mean, at grid, it's a smaller footprint, right? Yeah. But I'd have been really enthusiastic if that had been a $20,000 camera. It's like two or three times that. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, <laughs> let me back up. What are you shooting with, Joe? I've still got this, I've just spent all this year on the Sony FS7. Okay, so it why the FS7? Uh, well, for me, it's about the full frame thing, basically. It's the fact that I can put it's E mounts, I can put a speed booster on it. Uh, it definitely has some technical technical uh, issues that I'd love to resolve and working to resolve. The the fact that you are adding an extra optical mount um, and the best the best one out there is the Metabone Speed Booster Ultra, uh, which is I find perfectly fine optically, but uh, there's issues with the um, lock-off in terms of putting a lens on there. Put a nice hefty uh, cinevised EF mount lens on that, and then you put a nice talky remote wireless focus motor on there, and if you you know you rack your focus backwards and forwards, and the lens does rotate. It all comes down to the annoying little lock-off pin. I would love, and I'm investigating and um, putting some money into trying to get a proper positive lock speed booster thing listen the moment that there's a larger larger format non-red uh solution for like full frame uh with some nice over cranking without having to crop uh then i'm probably going to you know then i'm definitely going to be interested in that if i i'd love the i love the positive lock ef mount on on the epic is just was just beautiful i'd love a i'd love a speed booster version of that if really. we leave the epic away for a second then because you obviously uh kind of cold on that if tomorrow a press release came out of a very cam from panavision a canon you know not a an slr a uh, sony or a black magic camera that provided the full frame stuff that you want which yeah. of those would you most excited to see a press release from Assuming that it ships and all other things. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the, I mean, I think that's part. That's part of it. It's going to ship. Is it? You know, is it coming from a company that's actually going to ship stuff? The uh, Ursa Mini is interesting. It's intriguing. The newer version, the four point whatever it is, the the new the newer chip with the better dynamic range, uh, is very interesting. I think there's the the um, uh, the frame rates are a little bit limited, and the fact that it doesn't have inbuilt ND uh, is limited. The fact there's no inbuilt ND on the Epics is something I, I gotta say. Having had that with the um, having had that with the well, the FS7, I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it, and it's just such a time saver throughout the day. Built-in NDs, I would have to say that that is that is a um, that's a must. I think. For a, for, a, for a production camera, digital cinema camera of any kind. Um, the, the, the Mini, you know, has the notional 15 stops of latitude. Yes. I mean, it's a pretty so, so they say. Yeah, and it's yeah. a 4680 by whatever it is, 2590 or something. Yep, shooting ProRes. Um, Very small, nice lightweight. Love the user interface and the, the menus and the layout and the, everything is beautiful. Flip-out monitor seems to be good. Uh, it's very light, much lighter than the original Ursa. Oh my god, yeah. Uh, but it is delayed and delayed, and still not shipping. Yeah. Uh, so that is that is that, that is that is that is a bit of a bugbear, and has continues to 
way on black magic as people you know they can they announce stuff but you know it still doesn't ship clearly it's clearly still in 2015 building a digital cam- digital cinema camera is hard stuff yeah. hey so back on your sony camera what are you shooting like media wise do you have like 128 gigs uh or? no i have like 364 gig cards they last forever i probably got probably used a couple of cards a day right uh, two or three cards a day i guess on a big day um often over cranking a little bit uh but yeah they're like 64 gig cards, about 300 bucks or something. Super light, small, about the size of a CF card. $30 reader, USB reader. And, <laughs> and what's your what's your lens pack of choice? The I mean, are you still on funky dog shit lenses? Uh, yeah, I'm on funky on? dog shit lenses. I have my... I've sort of moved away from the whole sort of getting super crazy flary stuff. I think flares are a bit sort of overdone. I think we've moved on... Well, I personally have moved on from flary, flary stuff. Um, part of the reason I like the full frame look is that i've got the len- all the lenses i've got have got uh, like an oval oval mask inside which gives me anamorphic-esque bokeh i guess for me it's all about the bokeh it's all about nice interesting looking out of focus stuff and that comes from a having the the interesting mask in the lens uh which gives you nice out of over ovalesque bokeh but also it comes from if I shoot full frame, or at least with the, with a speed booster, then that makes means I'm always working one lens longer than if I was shooting Super 35. So my backgrounds are always going to be that much softer for the equivalent size shot. So I'm always going to get... Uh, so it does create a more anamorphic look because like... You know, with, with the, the squeeze ratio on, on, on true anamorphics, because you have a wider, you're, the the, an, the anamorphoser is giving you a much wider field of view than the physical lens um, would normally do if it's spherical. You're always then working a little bit tighter all the time. You're always using a slightly tighter lens, and that's partly where that where that shallow uh, shallower depth on anamorphic comes from. Is that uh, you know you're sort of always working slightly tighter. So same thing with same thing with um, same thing with the speed boosters. It's kind of like a, a a, a two-way uh, anamorphoser, I guess, on the back of the lens. Well, let me ask you a couple of other questions, two in particular. So that camera that you shoot with is rated at 2,000 ISO, yeah. I believe. Yeah, um, it's very clean. If we get back to the Epic for a second, that's still like around a 600 kind of rating, yeah. depending on which um, yeah. filter you put in. Yeah. Do you rely on that 2,000 or...? Yeah, I mean, I just... Constantly I Honestly, I'm, just at, I'm at, at a place now with the... With the Sony, where I've got past the fiddly menus, which is, I think, is obviously something I'd love to see change, uh, and would be one of the things I suppose that w- that I would be on the lookout for. Whatever the new, whatever the next new shiny camera is, it would it would have, or or wherever Sony decide to take their menus, it would be nice, cleaner, simpler menus. Um, sorry, what was the question? Ha <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was asking you. Look, th- this camera, Jace, it is 2000 ISO. Yeah. And you are trying to do really shallow depth of field. Yes. So it's Jason gaffer tape the thing wide open window. Sure. Drive. Yeah, sure. So with I'm just the, wondering. With the NDs the- in the back and a variable ND in the front. And uh, look, I, I, I'm at the stage, as I say, with the menus and with the, the way it's set up, that I literally just put a battery on, turn it on, it looks great. Uh, and I just shoot. And I don't shooting, tinker with it. You're shooting 4K as in 3842 by... True 4K, which so. is 4.0, whatever it is. Are you seeing that? I thought well, it's sort of Sony's shot. 4K, which is slightly... 
this uh, slightly wider than true 4K horizontally uh, with the Ultra HD height. Okay, so so 40, that's your 40, native 30, shooting 80, format. But you're not mastering, obviously, in 4K. You, you, no. Yeah. You blow stuff up much? Still going, absolutely. Yeah, blow it up all the time. Okay. Or at least I love having that option for sure. Or if I'm going to stabilize and if I'm ha- shooting handheld, or if I want to stabilize something or crop and something. And what format are you recording on your camera? In? Uh, uh, XAVC-I, the, uh, the higher bit rate. Uh, okay. I am shooting... Um, uh, yeah, the XAVC-I, which is uh, 25p, which is 250 megabits a second. Um, yeah. And, yeah, that's what I'm shooting at. It's, um, so, I mean, that's the other thing, I think. I just, you know, if I'm generating a lot of a lot of data, if I was, if I was, if I was... Um, Did you say 250 megabytes a second? Yep. That's interesting it's because... 500 the, megabytes if you shoot, like, 50p or something, I think. Right. Because um, the... Oh, it's not exactly the same, of course, because but the Epics in its R3D format, so it's quite a different thing. Yeah, is shooting. I think the Dragons at two hundred megabytes a second, the Magnesium weapons at two twenty-five, and the Carbon Fiber weapons at three hundred megabytes a second. Megabytes, you're talking. Yeah. I'm talking about megabits. Oh, okay, that would be yeah. So you're generating in a, in a Dragon around six K. Yeah. Is like seven hundred and something mega megabits a second. It's also interesting how low the compression rates are going on the yes. on the um, yeah red stuff. Like yeah, I used to be happy at ten to one, and people are like, "Whoa, we want four to one." I'm like, wow. and also for me, it was you know again uh, maybe things since I've moved on from red have got a little bit better in terms of the acceptance factor, but not to do you know not having to do any transcoding. I'm very happy that I can just now it seems to be quite well accepted. That I can drag and drop and give everybody just give everybody these four K files. Admittedly, it's a crazy file structure and things, but you know it just works. It just drags and drops, and uh, no one needs to trans. No one seems to need to be able to transcode. They can just. I can. I can open up the files right here on a MacBook Air, two-year-old MacBook Air, and, and play them. Play them fine. Can I talk to you about something else that was a lot of fun for me? Um, it has been fun in the last couple of weeks. So on our little Sony, little uh, SLR cameras, the um, ones we shoot with, we've got like a bunch of them for interviews and stuff. Yeah, we've. Um, we we finally got around to bothering to get the uh, app working with it, and so now we can actually, which is obviously not the uh, remote <clears> app <throat> thing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I can literally play memories or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I can literally yeah. um, see myself on the camera for lineup, right? And then switch it off and on and adjust things. Yeah. So if I was wanting to shoot myself doing an interview, um, I'd be able to, you know, Wi-Fi to my own camera to switch yeah. on and. I was thinking, well, that's kind of fun. Um, yeah. And you're right, it is called uh, Play Memories. And so it connects to the camera. There's definitely some limitations, though. I think if you start, I seem to remember, like if you're using, for shooting video with it. Well, it seemed fine. But anyway, okay. my point is, this is what I was doing, right? I've got my phone up and I can see myself, which sometimes is really, really handy because trying to frame up on yourself if yeah. you're a one-man guy yeah. is just impossible. And then I started playing yesterday with the carbon fiber Wi-Fi which now uses the app um, that... Ah, uh, uh, yes. Yes, the... Uh, the, full the full control. control. Yeah. And the full control is great. Like, you're controlling the dragon and you're playing with uh, yeah. all the settings and you're even tweaking, um, you know, the looks that are going out to the... Uh, yeah. To the, to the preview monitor. And, and of this course... It's all part of the fantastic new red that I, I, I didn't stick around for. Well, no, no, but my point was, it was just like, it just so brought into sharp relief why I didn't like the red mode. 
because the red mode promised to do so many of these things. Well, it never worked. It never worked, yeah. Never and this worked. works it's like, like a It's like the most redundant trick. piece of gear anybody ever bought for their... It was the thing I thought was going to be the most awesome. And there was going to be the Red Mote Pro that did the focus control yeah. and all these crazy dreams that never really... Uh, yeah, the red mode never really realized into uh, what it should be. Now, yeah, the, the, the side control on the side of the yep. body and the full control and, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's The thing about the full terrific. control, though, and, and so this is, I'm not just talking about that per se, but that now between the Sony camera and this, it's the idea that, like, I just think any camera now has to be able yeah. to be fully run by yeah. an iPad or an iPhone or that yeah. matter, a Google thing. But also, the other thing about that is it just feels like we're starting to get towards, because, you know, there's so much capability in an iPhone camera yeah. for understanding roll pitch your, understanding when time of date, GPS, all that kind of stuff. And yeah. we're just starting to sort of get, I mean, that's taken, me, taken us way longer than I thought it would, to get a lot of that Wi-Fi controller stuff happening with normal cameras. And yeah. it seems the easiest way to do that is just connect your camera to a, very powerful computer that you have in your pocket as part of your phone mm. and let it provide a huge amount of stuff. But like all that stuff like GPS tagging, all the metadata that's coming off. Because, um, you know, if you are watching on your full control and somebody starts adjusting the focus you, mm. or the iris, whatever, you're going to see that on uh, reflected on the... Um, yeah. And so all of that, that metadata is terrific and it's now being generated and it should be because there's so much intelligence that you can get on set and have effortlessly recorded. And things that you want to be able to do, you know, you want to be able to see what's going on. You want to be able to run something off a arm without having to run a lot of cables. Yeah. You want it to be simple. You want it to be effective. But also you want it to tap into stuff that we just take for granted in a $600 iPhone. As long as that stuff works, you know. I'm, I mean, I'm getting a little bit over technology that doesn't work, but stuff that should do. and Video transmitters that d meant to do one thing and then you spend your whole time just unplugging and replugging things. And I'm just... Yeah, I'm getting a little bit over tech that. Uh, well, I guess this doesn't stuff do seems what to it's work. meant to. What it says on the tin, you know. I'm also really enthusiastic that Red's opened up to people like Off Hollywood because the Off Hollywood stuff, the modules that they're building, and the Vault Bridge, and having again, you know, on your iPhone, yeah, um, control over stuff that was a black box before, like power was. Yeah. Do we have any power left? You know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And and I think that uh, Off Hollywood produce good stuff, and they're going to be producing great you know, add-ons. And any company now should be doing this. I mean, you, your criticism of Red is that they were too of an island. And if they can open up to other people making modules and other people making add-ons, yeah, you just amp up the, the, the space. I think they're making cameras now that are very, that are affordable. I think it comes down to the media as well, I think. And, and now I think if you say, as you say, if they're, if they're actually doing, letting you do, let's say 4K, 4K ProRes, uh, if that can be enabled on the lower or mid-range cameras rather than the super woven with pure unobtainium uh, stealth carbon fiber weaved versions, then uh, that would be, if that can filter down a little bit and you sure, know, but don't you think democratize it, it, this whole sort of class system they've got going on, which is a little bit, I, mean, I know it's... You know, okay. unless you, unless you pay for the full, unless you pay for the for the for the fully unlocked yes, uh, ultra pro version, yes. then you don't get you I'm don't. Trying get to all discuss that. general trends in camera tech, and, and I'm just, just using it as an opportunity to whinge about red, but that's okay. No, I, the, here's the other trend just, that I. It's frustrating. It, it, it's not all frustrating. Of the, all, it's happening. All all whinges are based on frustration that of of 
if like we've said before, if if the camera was crap, you wouldn't care. No one would care. We wouldn't be talking about it. It's the frustration that that that, that the goodness is there, and it's just kind of being withheld or compartmentalized or sort of, you know, it's it's that it's it's this it's the it's the frustration is the what could be, you okay. know, it's the ninety percent there or the seventy five percent awesome and the and the twenty five percent what the fuck. Okay, you know? so. So anyway, we <laughs> that's the frustration. Okay. That's where the whinge comes from. Again, sure. if the camera was crap, we wouldn't say it. Yes. Okay. Even so from my it. point of view, I'm really happy with the stuff that Red is doing. Everything from the yep. compression rates to the we haven't discussed some of the stuff like the auto black calibration and the LUT support, but um, it is small, which is good, and yeah. it now has third party support, which is which is all um, really really great. But as I say, one of these trends across the the range of all cameras, I think, is just like amping up the user interface, amping up the power that it can do by tapping into powerful computers that are just sitting beside it in your pocket. And I would love to see all cameras um, doing this because, frankly, great. Yeah. Um, Providing it works and it just does, it gets out of your way, and it's tech that uh, lets you do. Lets you you get on with your job, and you know, as I say, there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of tech out there that's uh, brilliant, great idea, fantastic. The first day, the day one, you set it up, you plug it in, brilliant. Nothing will sink, nothing, okay. and you just want to throw it across the room. Just put it away. I'm just going to get on with it and, and, and shoot. Okay, so my next trend. That's my. I love that kind of technology that no, no, just, just works, does its job. Fantastic. You get to the end of the day and go, wow, hey, I never once had to reset that thing. Or that never, you know, I didn't have get a call from Video Village once every five minutes saying the split's down or, you know, you know. So anyway, getting back to my um, <laughs> tech that I like that's big trends. What well, you said you wanted to talk about overarching yes. things. Yes. I think a really interesting thing we haven't discussed on the show is the HDR, the basically the high dynamic range outputs and the... Uh, the adoption of uh, what's been going on with those. And I think it's just really, really impressive. It's impressive. You're talking about HDR presentation or HDR capture uh, modes? Well, no, no, I'm not talking about HDR capture modes. I'm talking about the whole idea of having uh, things that, you know, everything from uh, Dolby Vision yes. to, to whatever that is producing yeah. these much, much... Absolutely. Um, I think that is the biggest... That, I, that That is one of the biggest revolutions yet to come. And it doesn't involve... Us having to change a single camera, one one iota. It's giving us, it's unlocking the the dynamic range that's already there within the cameras. I mean, we've got we've been used to grading you and I in rooms yeah. with LCD panels that or whatever that yeah. have what two three hundred nits. Yeah, and we're talking about a thousand, and I, and you know the roadmaps have five thousand nits, right? Yeah. and that's just spectacular. And if you can do things like have thirty three by 33 by 33 LUT support on your um, 4K ProRes that's coming out, mm. you can get really good quality stuff that can go into a pipeline from that ProRes alone, yeah. you know, before we get to anything else, um, that will go into an HDR pipeline. And, and I think the work, you know, when you see a SMPTE, you know, 2084 spec monitor thing, yeah. And you see stuff that's got these. Um, I mean, it's really dramatic. Like you don't look absolutely. at them and say they're kind of good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even the domestic stuff that we've seen that I've seen side by side demos at uh, even Simti here and at NAB uh, this year, side by side domestic coming monitors that do that do HDR, uh, and it's, it's outstanding. It's definitely it's a way dramatic difference, and it's something that the consumer can actually 
you don't need to know about the tech behind it to be able to look at it and go, wow, that looks different, that looks mm. great, I want that, as opposed to the whole 4K thing, which is just something that marketing has pushed people into. It's great for us in production to shoot 4K, but, you know, I've got a 79-inch 4K TV, and I have to... I've got quite a standard, normal sort of living room, but I have to, I even, I have to walk up. I have to get up and go to the other side of the coffee table and walk halfway, halfway across the room to stand close enough to that monitor to be able to tell the difference between 4K and good HD. So th- it's just not... Yeah, I'm with you. Like it, you know, I, I would need a, you'd need to have a 100-inch or 85 or much, much bigger monitor to be able to tell the difference on 4K. But the HDR thing, that is an instant, amazing thing that requires, yes, it's going to require some new TV technology, but it doesn't require anything new from camera technology. Even even you can, you can get even fantastic results from footage from, say, a red one if we went HDR. So that would that would be a fantastic coming revolution that requires no one to buy a single, spend a single dollar on, on a new camera. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's the thing that is the most important uh, development. You know, if I was to sort of name my pick of things that I got most ha- sort of excited about seeing adoption of in 2015, it would be HDR. Yeah, it's and or uh, OLED in terms of just blacks and colours and things and rendition and is amazing. But some good LCD, the the LCD, I think I'm sure the one I've got is LCD and it looks fantastic. Set it up, brilliant, it's beautiful. OLED would be great, but yes, HDR would be. There have been problems with that. Right? I mean, some companies have walked away from them. Yeah, the yeah, it's very expensive. I guess it's expensive. It all comes down to the yields. Or it's obviously, it's been quite hard to create panels uh, at any level of expense. And uh, I guess the LCD in the meantime, LCD LED has been getting slowly better in in the background. So I don't know. I, but yeah, good HDR would be amazing that i'm surprised still that there has there is not for an industry that is always looking for the next new thing to be able to push and i guess they've they've made almost 4k is kind of like a standard now you know for Mm. a tv but but it's but it's a benefit no one needs no one or no one gets no one gets a benefit from really you sort of can see 4K stuff. I've got a Netflix app on the TV, and I can occasionally see 4K stuff and House of Cards and things, and you can get it in Ultra HD, and it does look nice. But uh, well, I mean, companies yeah. are demanding 4K for archival purposes, which is a yeah. problem for an ARRI. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree. At if you go to the consumer end of things, a really good, you know, 2K monitor. Mm. Uh, to a 4K is not a big jump, but an HDR monitor is like, wow, that looks spectacular. Yeah. Hey, um, and I think we're seeing cameras with the H in terms of dynamic range. We're seeing cameras that still only have, say, 14 stops, still only, you know, mm-hmm. have 14 stops, yeah. but that are, the, they're using those 14 stops very nicely and giving a nice cinematic look. Um. So we, we talked about lenses before, but like, where is, where are you at with like a, uh, in the in the terms of lens tech and stuff, is there are there lenses that are like really? Did you did you keep all your Canon Prime Cine lenses? I no, I've got rid of the Canon Cine Primes. I do kind of miss them at the moment. I've got what I've got is a whole set of converted with the oval convert cinema cinevised, I guess, um, rehoused contacts lenses uh, with the oval uh, masks inside. 
Uh, and I got a whole set of those from 21 up to 135. And I don't have the Canon Cine Primes. I do miss them. I think they're beautiful. Um, I am slowly moving away from EF lenses on the like the A7S and stuff like that. I really am loving the the little Loxias. Oh, yeah. Beautiful little just the Sony E mount E mount lenses for for the A7S and A7R. Um, they're lovely. So nice and mechanical and yet. I mean, for stills and things, if you ever used the little Loxias there, I mean, they're not super fast, like F2 and things, and and it's a very limited range. I think there's only like a 35 and maybe a 28, and I think there's a there's a few other a few other sizes coming, but they're beautiful. Cover full frame, of course. Um, they are manual, manual iris and manual focus, but they're still electronically coupled to the camera. So as soon as you grab, if if anyone's familiar with the A7S and a7 and the the manual focus and the focusing tools as soon as you grab the focus even though it's a mechanical focus as soon as you grab it the camera senses that and it goes into it can if you set it up right it can go into that magnified magnified focus mode and you let it go and it pops back to full frame it just bl- it just magnifies when you adjust your focus and when you let it go so it's not it, the camera you still get the readout in the in the in the um in the viewfinder telling you what stop you're on to be able to check it um, but it's a nice manual lens. They're quite affordable. Um, yeah, beautiful, beautiful little lenses, and yeah, very small and light. It's nothing. I think partly because the fact that I was got used, I got annoyed with the fact that the cameras themselves, the A sevens. What have you got now? S Mark Twos or what yeah. And I've got I've got a couple of those. I mean, don't forget, I'm the guy that also went back and bought a. Uh, oh yeah, I spent back and bought a five D five D Mark Three because yes. it's an extension of my arm, and it's so yeah. funny how many people pick it up and go, "Oh my god, this is so heavy!" I'm yeah, like, yep. But it yeah, it's great pictures. But I wanted to have lenses that kind of match the form factor of the yeah, I know. Of the, I, I've got to say, I've got the so camera. Many, nice to not have an adapter. I'm I sort of so annoyed many, with adapters, yeah. really. I actually completely agree with you because we put. I've got a lot of L series Canon glass, and I'm not into swapping stuff as much as you are. I mean, you are yeah. very, very good at cycling stuff. Um, which I yeah totally I do try and impressed. get rid of it just just yeah mentally I, I just feel have sort of guilt it. if I ha- if I yeah, just have yeah. ten of something and and I'm not using seven but, of them but but anyway my point is uh, I have this so obviously I shoot that with a Canon but when I stick it on the you have some Sony lenses but I sometimes stick it on with the my problem is that our Metabones doesn't always say read an 85. It's just another reason for this. There's so many annoying things with having with the lens adapters. There's the you know there's the slight slop and the fact that it's another adapter that you have to lock down. Yep. It's the um, with the mechanical lenses that I've got. Uh, yes, the 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 back of the lenses fouls on the pins of the things. Uh, a lot of the um, if this is if I'm talking about with mechanical lenses. Uh, the it, it it plays havoc with the camera, which sometimes locks up. You have to sort of reboot or take the mount off and put it back on again. Sometimes you'll fire up the camera, and the camera will just be completely black because it's just it's just freaking out. Attached to a Metabones attached to attached to an, a smart mount adapter that is attached to a dumb lens, uh, and it can't cope. And so yeah, I I I. I don't know what I don't know what the the future holds there. I think the E mount has been part of the success of the Sony. All of those, all of the E mount and its options to be able to put any lens you want on it has been part of the success of the A7. All of the A7s, um, but it's uh, I'd love to see. 
as they are now, Canon have developed a, a, a positive, nice, positive pro version of their EF mount, like the Canon EF mount, nice, positive locking uh, mount. I'd love to see a pro E mount. Uh, it's on everything. It's on FS7. It's uh, it's on all the A7Ss and things. It's it's not on super high end cameras, but I'd love to see a positive locking um, E mount somehow. That's just uh, once you lock, then you can just give it another nip or something. It just 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 to take the mount, take this mount uh, into the future a little bit and make it a little bit more pro. If you're going to have heavier lenses and and some, something that's sort of I don't know. And and some adapters need to get better. The the Metabone speed booster, everyone's got one. Fantastic. It's giving you the full frame thing, but man, uh, optically it's great, but physically the 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 front end, the locking pin and all that stuff is a little bit of a joke. Okay, so getting away from lenses, what yes. are you mounting cuz I I've seen some work you're doing with, I know we can't discuss it, but it's gorgeous and it seems a little kind of handheld, a little kind of not sitting on um legs locked down. Like what's your what what are you mounting for if you're going to get it? Are you just putting it on your shoulder? You uh, shoulder. I've got... The, mainly if I'll be, I'll be shooting with the FS7 on the shoulder or on, on tripod or on O'Connor, an old O'Connor 1030 head. Or uh, I really like... Uh, it's now it's gone from a bit of a niche thing to being something that I've chucked in the kit all the time now is the uh, uh, DJI Ronin M, the gimbal. Okay. Of which I put the A7R2 on it at the moment. Uh, and I find that thing, even with the really quite heavy now Cinevised lenses I've got and a speed booster and everything, uh, it works really well. It's a really nice combo. It's I find it, for whatever it is, almost like a, it's put 1500 bucks or something. It's about two grand landed here. Uh, it's a great, great kit. Obviously, Freefly, uh, I've done an amazing job with the... Um, the Movi and the new Movies and the prices have come down a lot and they are still, you know, the gold standard. But I tell you, the, the Ronin M uh, That's is... That's a magnesium sort of... Uh, it's not that light. It's, it's just really problem. small and super light and it comes with a little tiny... You, you can get lots of little remote options for it. It's just really good at just turn it on and it just works. And the balancing... I think the motors are really strong so you can... You can be a you can you it gives you the option to have a camera that's maybe not entirely balanced or is a bit front heavy or a bit bottom heavy or you know you can be if you get a bit stuck for balance it's okay the the motors will will cope it's not an ideal way to go but it it's it's definitely um uh, works really well turn on a remote and it pairs turn on turn I was going to ask you about that do you use the their M remote the the sort of I have it looks like a two. Plane. Yes, it comes with the the big sort of like a radar control but car also kind an of app thing. One, like a there is an app. app one. I don't know. With there definitely is an app. I'm not. I guess you can control it from that. But I also make have a little Bluetooth, like a little something about the size of a little remote, uh, like a little um, key, like a remote, yeah, remote key for for your car kind of thing. It's really quite small. Is this Clips the thumb on controller? There. Yeah, thumb controller. Right which is amazing. Literally, you turn that on, it sinks like that. I've been on the other side of a field, and someone's been just running with that thing, and I've been literally looking at my wireless monitor and controlling it 70, 80 feet away with this teeny little, I guess it's Bluetooth, little controller. It's been quite um, amazing. I've never had it drop out. It's fantastic. It's always, you know, it doesn't run out of batteries every two seconds like the little tiny remote from the GoPros or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's it's really, for, you know, a couple of hundred dollars extra. 
that's the thing they should include with it, not the big clunky radio control car remote thing. It's very nice and responsive. It's quite easy to, quite easy to, um, uh, you know, quite easy to get a nice smooth control. Which begs the question: What are you using then for feeding back that wireless image? Like, what's the oh, thing of choice for? Broadcasting I from the camera? have now. Um, I've got um, moved to Teradek Bolt Pro 300s. I've right. got uh, one transmitter on the camera, and I've got a receiver on the back of for a wireless director's monitor. I've got a um, uh, Odyssey Seven Q Plus, right. Q Seven Plus. Um, so that's a remote. That's a recording monitor. And I've got the a Bolt Pro on the back of that, and that's a really nice, solid, um, dependable um, link. So I, the Bolt's a couple of grand. Kind of um, it's 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 fairly expensive, but there's very. Um, I find it's I find it's incredibly impressive uptime. You know, once they're on, they're on. Um, I find a couple of other things I've had in the past. You have to reboot things a bit, but unplug Did you say and plug. Which bolt you're using? The bolt Pro 300. The 300, right? Because there's a yeah. 600. And a there is a 600, and 900, but 10, I just find 000. yeah, the Bolt Pro 300. Yep. It doesn't quite have the range of say like a, the Paralinks um, Arrow Xs and things, but uh, maybe a little bit more dependable in terms of uptime and uh, just being a little bit more set and forget perhaps. Uh, so I have one of those, and then I have. The uh, another monitor I've got a small HD DP7 which is attached to a for my first AC I have a, a Movcam single access wireless I've gone to wireless follow focus now so I've got one of those controllers bolted on a DP7 and so he's got a monitor and and wireless and wireless controller in one and that's got a, a Bolt Pro receiver on the back of that and I've got another bolt pro receiver which is bolted to the back of my large video village 21 inch sony lcd uh, monitor so i'm still clunking around with firmware and things but the theory being that well actually you know, metadata should be coming through it should be triggering record uh, run stop on the odyssey wirelessly it all the audio comes through wirelessly through sdi through to the monitor uh, uh, yeah, all the um, metadata of, of uh, camera information will come through to the Sony monitor. So yeah, I'm just trying to make it as simple and easy as possible. No cables, no I'm no one to trip over, um, and I can yeah I can just run around chasing dogs or kids or whatever and and uh, not have to sort of be tripping over uh, leads and not having to uh, reboot things and just keep everything. It's all about being able to easily move, reposition quickly, uh, keep up with what's happening in front of the lens and not have to be running backwards and forwards to Video Village to have people reboot things and wait because, you know, Video Village is like the moment, the, the, the nanosecond they can't see anything. They just <laughs> completely panic. All of a sudden, as soon as there's a link's down, all of a sudden the whole place needs to shut down a complete lockdown oh my god we can't see anything stop this train holy shit no filmmaking can proceed until we can see it if it doesn't happen while video village are watching it doesn't happen it, it, it never happened and we need to do it all again so it's uh it's an incredibly um i rely on it for keeping clients away if you know what i mean 
Right. It's 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 something I guess creatively rely on on them keeping them at arm's length a little bit and keeping them um, keeping them happy. And the moment they can't see anything, then all of a sudden the the, the panic. Uh, the panic rises that they all of a sudden can't trust you. But, uh, yeah, as long as they can see that little image, they're happy, and they just go back to updating their Facebook. And w- <laughs> and in terms of uh, audio, we just touched on it briefly, but yeah. so you've said you've discussed your tripod, you've discussed your Ronin. Yes. So audio, and I'll have um, sound recorders who will be... Um, you always have a sound recorder? Mm, yeah, um, pretty much, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Most and of, most of the time these days, I haven't been doing a lot of super doco run and gun stuff for a while. I do sort of more higher end run and I guess run and gun in terms of being handheld and and a bit more, more a bit more live and un, and unrehearsed and marks and things on the floor a little bit more live on the set. But I'm not necessarily chucking everything in a backpack and going across through Namibia or whatever like, yeah, for three, three months, you know, yeah. with a crew of two so much. So, but I guess I, I want to keep that style a little bit, but it's, the production is a little bit bigger around me, I suppose. Um, so yeah, always have a sound recorder and they'll just be sit putting a, um, receiver on the camera and feeding, feeding a signal for, uh, edit. And often they just use that audio right into the edit and it goes all the way right through and that gets pumped right through SDI wirelessly through to Video Village and, uh, they get to hear everything. So uh, on the Twitters, as we've been talking, and I've told people that we're doing this, we've had a question about sync. Have you looked at the uh, Tentacle Sync? The, nope. the It's a system of uh, syncing up. Uh, so it's T-E-N-T-A-C-L-E Sync. Or so one that's word. Kind of like, what was that other one that was like Sync Buddy or something? What was that, like Time yeah, Code this was Buddy a startup. or something? It came from a, it's Germany. It came from a um, Kickstarter-y kind of thing. Well, it wasn't actually Kickstarter. And um, it allows you... Well, it's just interesting things. It not only allows you to sync up the cameras in terms of a sync, but the reason I thought of it is, of course, you know, you can run this it for audio. It's a bit it of an issue with the FS7 because there is no... Part of its sort of... Part of its uh, its heritage or how Sony thought of it was that it was meant to be this sort of doco kind of reality not reality tv just was sort of this doco single shooter wedding kind of camera right and it's been dragged into much higher arenas and and people who like the image and the price point and the fact that you know all you know the e-mounts and all that sort of stuff and the dynamic range and basically the fact that it's a that it's an f55 or f5 f5 in a in a in a more um accessible body i guess uh uh, has meant that uh, to do the syncing and to get Genlock and get get all the time code ins and outs, you have to use the you're tied into the Sony expansion unit thing that bolts on the back, which I don't use. Uh, that's the only that's the only downside I think I can I want DC ins I want DC outs I want a lot of power in and out and I want um, but I don't I don't have the ability to have time code often. Um, well, the thing about the tentacle is that it's um, not just the timecode generator and thing, but also there's actually software that they have that runs on the Mac or Windows for right. actually syncing stuff, right? So it's it's like a step beyond just giving you a timecode signal. Interesting. Um, and I think it's only a few hundred bucks. It's uh, sorry, it's two hundred and fifty bucks a euro. There you go. Okay. Um, so it's working through audio. How about is it connected to on the camera? Okay, hmm. so it's actually doing it's actually doing wireless audio transmission. 
uh, yeah, I, mean, I haven't used it. Um, okay. Interesting. Anyway, tentaclesync.com. I'll have to check this one out. It looks looks interesting. Cause the our good friend at Late Night Films uh, okay. tweeted me to ask you that mm-hmm. question. Yeah, I haven't explored this one. This is interesting. Uh, I'll have to check that one out. Because that is a bit of an issue with the... Particularly if you're having multiple cameras, multiple FS7, say, on set. It's not a problem with anything, any other camera or m- most other cameras that have got sort of time code in and out. And if you're not running with the Sony extension unit, uh, then you lack the... Um, uh, you know, lack the time codes, ins and outs, and things to be able to uh, sync multiple cameras together and not and just jam sync at the beginning of the day and not have to do slating. So let me keep asking that you questions. Is a bit of a that is a bit of a bugbear for me. No, I will definitely investigate this and see if it's going to do something for us. Let me keep asking. They look questions. good. Look tiny and small. And oh, is it all Wi-Fi or what's the hmm, interesting? So there's another question. Uh, have we both moved away from Canon? I think I've already answered that in saying that no, I love Canon to death. And you have. Uh, I would be buried with my 5D Mark III. Yeah, I have an A7R Mark One for some stills. I have an A7R Mark Two, which I now use as sort of, I guess, as B camera or on the gimbal. I still have an A7S Mark I. Um, I, I just had a particular project that came up that I needed to get the A, get have 4K in a smaller form factor. So I went with the A7R2, and the A7S2 wasn't out yet, but I think that would be probably the, you know, probably be the most sensible choice. Canon, I don't have any more. Okay, so somebody that dovetails brilliantly. Somebody says Canon 4K, you know, in I think SLRs. Um, soon, if not, why not? Like, what's our thoughts? Canon is. Will there be a, f- a 5D Mark IV real soon with 4K? Canon is a tricky one, this isn't is it? From, they do uh, seem to run their own race, and 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 it's a it's a race that seems to be on a completely different track, and also started at, you know. On a completely different starters gun. Remember that I went to that huge Canon event in LA at Paramount Studios, where you know they had Scorsese yeah. there, and yeah, uh, yeah, and, they're um, the big launch. I'm sure they put a lot of cash behind that in terms of getting some people, getting some important-looking bums on seats. C five hundreds, bums on seats. C five hundreds, C three hundreds. I think you know. I think people have been a little bit disappointed by the C three hundred Mark II uh, for what it costs and what it's bang for buck. I think the FS7 has sort of spoiled a lot of people in that kind of arena. Yeah. Um, in terms of DSLRs, I mean, I don't... I personally don't see... I mean, for what we do, I think even just for stills, I think the the fact the DSLR is a sort of a... It's a hangover from old technology, you know. Yeah. For optical Here viewfinders. I, stills. I, I love I love the idea stills. of mirrorless... But I do like the idea of some of the the, the hybrid viewfinders, like that 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 uh, Fuji do, where you can actually have the ability. Literally, it's a it's a it's a it's an LCD that flips in and out of your optical viewfinder. You can have a rangefinder design. You can be physically looking optically through if you want. But as soon as you fire fire a shot, it'll either show you a it'll then flip in the LCD and show you an actual preview of the exposure, so you can chimp it. And then see if you're doing it right, or you can just keep it in completely optical mode, or go completely digital. I love that that flexibility. But the whole idea of having a mirror in the way that then flips up out of the way and then flips back again—that whole mechanical thing—is just you know, it's 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 
it's designed around the you know it's designed around uh, a format that we don't use anymore really for film so i don't know wishing for i i guess uh, i mean canons canon have certainly had some losses and Sony, I mean, they certainly have their own set of troubles, I guess. Oh, but Sony but, has but, had but, a huge but the, surge. But, but the but the Canon, but they are, you know, they are they can't make enough um, cameras like the A seven, the A seven, the new A sevens and FS sevens yeah. and things. They can't they can't make them fast enough. Nikon are going south big Who? time. Nikon, Who? it's uh, they 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 made cameras at oh? one stage. Okay. Hmm. Hey, um. Chase, uh, another question. Uh, so, did we ask that question? I don't know, really. Uh, I'm sure that, as I say, Canon seems to just running their own race. It's on a completely different racetrack to everybody else, and time does not seem to... It is astonishing. Time does not seem to owns, apply <coughs> there. When someone owns a part of the industry and then gives it up, I just find that astonishing. Yeah, but I think even... But even... I mean, if you look at what happened with the 5D... Yep. Which again, this that was this was that was not even a twinkle in anybody in Vincent's eyes when we first started this podcast. Uh, they they kind of even even they stumbled into that, you know. Yeah, they stumbled into it, but they could have exploited it or continue to exploit it more. Hey, um, can oh, I? They just... have launched some mirrorless stuff, and it's all like half inch, two thirds inch sensor stuff. So they've gone, yeah, great. We we'll get on the we'll get on the mirrorless sort of compact bandwagon, but then they do it with. Um, do it with stuff like the 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 EOS M, um, which was sort of yeah. not not or the the new M M three. My daughter it? has one of those, but uh, the M three, and then new. They've just launched two new mirrorless compacts, which are um, yeah, tiny little sensors. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get that. Big sensors, or I might as well just use an iPhone. Okay, so the Reverend uh, Hateful Eight, um, Ken asks these large formats. What are our thoughts? What does it mean for the rest of us? Hateful Eight shooting on sixty-five mil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like what do we think? We sort of discussed was Revenant sixty-five mil. Oh, that was sixty-five mil. That was the Ari, uh, the Alexa sixty-five, maybe. Yeah, but what do we think about films shooting? You know, like basically. Yeah, well, I mean, they're all doing it for this is the the full frame. Oh, this is the love of the full but frame it's, look. It's this all is, about the love of the full frame look and nothing else, right? Well, I'm sure that I mean, uh, you know. Um, Hateful Eight is, is done by, uh, you know, and the, the style of the, the film and the director is, you know, very much homage, always homaging an old style. Um, so he he's probably all about um, about uh, doing it for um, nostalgia purposes as much as the... A nostalgic look, I guess. Um, and I guess it's definitely being... Uh, some people are using it, using the film side of things for for nostalgia reasons. Now that the uh, uh, Alexa sixty five is kicking in, I'm sure we're going to see more and more films shot on it. It's uh, again, it comes down to the beauty of the full frame look. This is just the high end. This is just the high end version of the full frame look. It looks, you know, stunning. Bring it on. I love uh, the Alexa sixty five. I can't wait to use it and try it and see it. And and uh, um, I have no idea how I'm ever going to get my hands on one, but. Uh, uh, in the meantime, the 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 FS7 kind of does a similar thing, a similar poor man's version of that for me. Uh, I can completely see the appeal, particularly if you're going to go if there's some if there's a way somehow being able to do um, a scope version of that. 
so, bit cropped or anamorphic. So Tyler was asking about uh, latitude in cameras. I think we've kind of discussed that a bit, but <clears throat> a little bit. I mean, we can always definitely definitely have more just to be able to. The more the more the more dynamic range you've got, the the less the less you time question. you have asked, on have on set to battle hot stuff that that doesn't. There's always no matter how well your ha- your camera will handle highlights. There's always this. There's always a point where oh that's just too spicy. I'm going to have to do something about that. And the less you have to do that, the more the cam, the more the cameras will handle those higher stuff, and the more they will make it look nice and roll it off beautifully, the better. So we can always have more. I mean, we've definitely got got cameras that are doing dealing dealing with with highlights um, better and better every day. But um, yeah. So what was the question? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was basically about whether the, our thoughts on latitude across the board. And my question to you was going to be. Um, is the latitude issue now, not not when we were back at, you know, nine, ten stops or something stupid, yeah, but yeah. is it now an issue that you can get a better looking thing on the screen for your client or is it that you've got a much broader safety net to work with? Do you, like if somebody came up with 16, 17 stops, is that yeah. going to be any different to you on screen or does it just mean, yeah, I'm going to get never get in trouble? Hmm. I, th- I think there's a bit of both. I think there's definitely a bit of both. I think it's, uh, yeah, I think we're definitely going to, I think you'll start to get that sort of little bit of HDR thing happening, maybe. You'll start to get a little bit of a... Like a compressed grade that... that, Yeah, more that that sort of slight, subtle HDR look. Yeah. I don't know. I think... I I hate that tone that look. Oh, sure, sure. No one wants that. I think think it's probably, I think... It's probably mostly going to be a production boon, just to, to stuff you don't need to highlights with windows you don't need to cop, um, hot sun in the background on a white on a white window that you don't need to cut or cover or put up a frame to um, to and you can you can just keep shooting. Uh, a lot more a lot more flexibility, a lot less stuffing around with lighting to be able to compensate for these things or cover them or mask them. Um, I don't know whether that's necessarily going to give a better look. I don't think I don't think the viewer is going to necessarily notice. I think the biggest change, the biggest thing with with high dynamic range that we're going to uh, the viewer is going to notice is going to be, you know, as we talked about with with getting the HDR, getting HDR in the home and HDR on monitors. Really, that's where you're really going to see it. But yeah, I definitely welcome. Bring it on. I'm interested to see. Uh, what the fifteen stops theoretically in the new black magic um and the new black magic sensors meant to give us another extra stop so or so from where we are now and I think Kinim Kinimax, the Kinimax six K, they seem to have some mode that is gonna do that isn't a crazy HDR dual file kind of thing like HDR mode of old in, in Redland. They seem to I think they have something that's that they seem to be talking about sixteen stops. And that camera is hopefully going to start dribbling out at the beginning of the year. I'm very interested in that camera. That's quite an interesting thing. They have their own professional speed booster with a positive lock. Uh, it's going to shoot 6K. The camera's about eight or nine grand. It's to shoot cinema DNG uh, and or um, uh, the Kinney Raw. Um, quite affordable. Wi-Fi, HDMI's, SDI's. It has an interesting screw in. It uses, I think, a, a Canon or a Nikon hand grip. You can bolt that in the top and the side, and that'll power the camera. Power the camera for a couple of, couple of, uh, a couple of hours. They say out of a hand grip battery, 
much as the same way as the red side grip didn't. Um, you always got about 20 minutes out of that thing with the little red volts. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, yeah, the Kinemac 66K is interesting. It's going to be something. And it's and it's non-proprietary SSDs. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting... It's an interesting camera to watch, that one. Can you make 6K? Somebody else has posted a question uh, in line with that thing about, um, you know, uh, large format people filming at professional level. Mm. There was, there's something that surfaced, uh, I, I saw it earlier in the year and then it surfaced again um, just in uh, a week or two ago about a black and white version of Mad Max. And, uh, you know, apparently the theory is that Miller wanted to have a black and white version of Fury Road with just the soundtrack and, and kind of a very... Um, like an alternate version of it. And somebody actually went and desaturated a version of Mad Max, which is kind of a different thing, right? But are anyway, talking about? The film. Fury, Fury Road. Road. yeah. Right. And uh, anyway, so somebody's posted us a question saying, um, would you like to see the uh, the black and white cinema release of Mad Max? You personally, I think. Hmm. Interesting. I'm like, I'm like of the attitude that... I, mean, I, I love black and white stuff, but it's kind of like... I like that they it's kind of like the fact that it's already yeah it's kind of like I mean I think I like I liked there was some there is something about the psychology of the color in in you know the original release that that yeah that dusty thing and there's a lot of going on with color there that's doing some interesting things in creating the heat and creating you know the desolation and the post apocalyptic thing that comes out of the color maybe that if you that would that you might lose if you go black and white I mean I'd love to see him do it but it's um, it seems that it's an interesting thing to do it after the fact, you know. I love that people are, um, uh, you know, talking about doing grade versions, not <laughs> yeah. uh, recut versions. Yeah. Because I, some of these recut versions yeah. that add in 20 minutes of stuff, I'm like, mm. there was a good reason you cut it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a great sort of money-making idea to do the re-edits but you know, maybe the fact just proves the fact that maybe you got the edit pretty right I don't think anybody's really looking at um, Fury Road and saying oh my god it's too long or it's too short is that one of those things that I think, like isn't it, it is a fairly long film isn't it yeah I'm just saying that like, I'm glad that yeah. it's if if there was an alternate grade version like you know how you've got um, Blade Runner in like, 28 different edits okay well the first edit yeah. was valid because it was you know as was, um, um, what's it called, you know, um, Brazil, where yes. you've got a studio grade and you want to get rid of it. Yes. But after that, I'm like, you know, just please, really? Yeah, I think I think when you've got, when you've got exactly like Blade, original Blade Runner and um, Brazil and things like that, where it's clearly documented cases of the studio completely running roughshod over the director who throws his hands up in the air and walk, almost gets fired off the project through battles over edits, then, yes, you, you, there is clear... You definitely want to know what they... You know, show us what you intended. But also, that you know, as soon as you have a, a big launch of, a, of an original edit, that sort of becomes what you get used to. I, I, I'm, I, I understand the new version, you know, the new versions of Blade Runner. But in all, I also grew up with and loved the original, you know, that was my first, my first exposure was to the, the, the studio edit, you know what I mean? With the voiceover yeah. and the shining ending and all that sort of stuff. So it's kind of, it's kind of, even though 
it's great to see what Ridley wanted to originally to do. I do think that there's you this concept of director as auteur, and in the French, you know, particularly protect that. But there are times that I've seen films that I really feel like someone should have stepped in and said the director. Yeah. Yeah, dude, it's a bit self-indulgent. Yeah. It's like the like. Oh, okay, like so with one anything. Of my, one of my favorite bands of all time, The Clash, but Sandinista shouldn't have been a three-album album. It should have been a double. You know, they should have just <laughs> cut a couple of tracks. Even though the world would have less Clash music and we'd have less Joe, Sandinista would be going from a great album to the world's greatest album if they just trimmed a couple of tracks. So there's a few versions of that? I don't know, is there? now? there's like a original version no, and then there's a trimmed version. That's it, that's it. Yeah, it's like the three okay. albums. So no one's really done. Yeah, I guess. album. Yeah, I guess there's no one really around to say, well, I, I mean, want to do my original version. Joe isn't around. The rest no. of but anyway, mm-hmm. my point is, there are films that I've seen where I've gone, you know, really, this is kind of getting a bit self-indulgent. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, we've kind of lost momentum. And you hear about those, right? You often hear somebody say, oh, we got this really great sequence. We just couldn't leave it in there because we wanted to get back to the story. And you think, as you're sitting there, oh my God, I so want to see that. And then you see it and you kind of go, yeah, it doesn't... Yeah. Kind of well, the reverse of the, obviously was the case with with episode um, four, five, and six, and George George out. doing the reissues and adding crazy, annoying characters and extra little bits and pieces. And I mean, I'm all for some sort of cre- a little bit of fix ups of of dirty traveling mats and things like that. But I'm busting to see episode four, five, and six remastered back to the original have, theatrical. That's what's yeah, coming yeah. out. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. yeah, for episode four, obviously get that as a remastered, high definition um, r- release. When do you know much about that? When when's that? I coming? believe it's coming out like real soon now. Like it's an it's a Blu-ray release of yeah. the original. What I don't know though is like there were some problems. So so there's a restoration process that happened with yeah. Star Wars that was really valid, right? It actually got the richness yes. back. Absolutely. So you kind of want that, but yes. what you don't want is yeah. the fix up some of the janky stuff. Second, yeah, get rid of like the weird stuff underneath this land speeder, and you know, just yeah. get rid of clean up some sort of dodgy effects, but don't add things. Don't add things. Yeah. Don't add characters and little. Extra don't make hands step on someone's tail as he walks around a back in a scene that. Do not be there. do that. Never do that. Never get do rid that. of that entire scene. Yeah, that is just wrong. It's not. But, but in that case, give us our who, childhood who, back. So let's say you did that. Who do you see at the end when Yoda, Ben, and Vader are in the hologram ah, ghost mode? Right, yes. Which, which actors? Because they stands? put actors in there that yeah, they, they, they hadn't cast yet. They put Thingo from series one, two, and three. Yes. No, I, I must, yeah, I don't want to go to Star Wars trivia, but it was just so funny watching with my kids that yes. they were like, why doesn't he say, when he goes, uh, Vader, uh, uh, Ben, I'm being kind of, I haven't seen you in a while. It's like, why doesn't he say, I haven't seen you since you left me lying on the side of a volcano with most of my limbs cut off, you bastard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he seems awfully... And I was like, yeah, I don't think he'd actually thought that through. Yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, I think it all should be reset back to before it, before 1, 2, and 3 ever existed. Really? Basically. Deny its existence? Deny, complete denial that it existed. Basically, the, the, the Star Wars story starts with episode 4. Yeah, the trouble is you get things like that. Like, I mean, Terminator, right, has gone so far down a kind of weird timeline-y timeline of a timeline mm. that it's hard to get excited about a Terminator film. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not excited about Terminator anymore. You know, whereas Terminator 2 is one of the greatest films I ever Absolutely. I watching. saw two before I ever saw one. 
So, yeah, and that sort of completely stood alone and was, you know, completely, completely mind-bending. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I've completely lost lost all, uh, you know. In, Great in, sequels in of all time. Godfather Part 2, Terminator 2. But my question to you is, is, is Empire, is Episode 5 your favourite Star Wars? I think it has to be. No, it's 4. It has to be 4, four I think. Right. Because 4... I guess for although he obviously was going for the episodic the episodic idea, and he originally obviously wanted to do it part of the trilogy. I guess it was never really, it was never really. It stands. It can stand alone as a story. You know, it's got the intro and at the very end. It's all great, wonderful. Everything. Everything's all happy now. We all got medals. Isn't that lovely? But it was never designed. It was. Although uh, sequels were would have been lovely, they never knew going into it that it was going to be successful enough. That they never there was never a cliffhanger or anything that you know where we we knew as you had at the end of of um, Empire. You know, it was always that we knew we were going to do. A third. They kind of left 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 a lot of stuff hanging. So no, I think it has to be episode four. That is probably the thing that made. The film that launched a million film careers, you know, be it effects, be it production, be it anything, more people probably decided that they wanted to be an anything to do with film on that, yeah, based on that film than any other, surely, I think. So, yeah, we've had a lot of posts while we've been talking, particularly David, who works as a ABC late line editor, seems to be not doing anything on the 7.30 report that he's meant to be editing and (laughs) he just keeps on posting us stuff. He's a complete, I'm reading his thing here, I don't know him personally, David seems a nicer guy, but anyway, apart from being um, a proud father and stuff, he he is a a DSLR magic lantern advocate. So I'm going to, he didn't ask this question, I'm asking it. Do you subscribe to cracks and breaks are you yeah, over it or absolutely no you do no i mean i i i i love the community that gets in there and finds what's possible uh there's a lot of stuff happening at the moment with the um a7 a7 cameras that people are sort of finding out that there's very little difference between say the a7 uh in terms of apart from sensor but in terms of back end the abilities to be able to record 4k is already there in in say the a7s mark one and people have sort of found it in theoretically seem to have found it in the code and uh i'm all for also though for if you're gonna do it i'll happily pay for uh code or a firmware if it if it's easy for me to update i i'm i'm yeah i'm all for all that sort of stuff providing it's reasonably accessibly easy to um you don't you don't have to feel like you're doing some crazy alchemistic dark art thing to be able to install it and make it work you know i'm happily pay for somebody to commercialize or or um stabilize a, a crazy hack and if there's something uh, i'm a little bit against a camera being held back by firmware for economic or marketing reasons well. yeah and i really had that you know if you can do it you should if you can do it ideally you should um if if one camera is capable of doing something that overlaps with another camera, then maybe that's you should relook really at how you've 
compartmentalized all your cameras you know if you look at them differently i think it, it's just i definitely if the camera can do it let us have it if it camera's capable of doing it without overheating or shitting the bed or ruining rushes if it's if it's physically being held back um it's if it's, if it's being um wheel clamped then yeah I, I don't agree with any of that st- stuff at all to be honest or you know if we'll sell you a, a higher end spec version that'll record a much higher resolution at higher speeds and it's exactly the same camera with different firmware that's just that's wrong and you deserve to be burnt a little bit by the the, the coders out there who who can crack your system and and, and democratize it I, i'm that's just you know i know it's all it's all business and uh but you know i've i've got i have got no moral issue with with stuff like that going on in the background and you know people it means people buy more, more cameras so i i think in a way a lot of camera companies should kind of maybe look to one side it's not going to it does it doesn't mean every single person buying your camera is going to do it it's it's always going to be a sort of a an undercurrent it's always going to be a bit of a you know a niche niche users you know, who are all going to want to do this. So it's the kind of thing where you should just, you know, let it, you should learn from it. You know, a lot of the times maybe maybe these these hacks are, are shining a light on something you didn't know your camera could do, as in the whole 5D revolution, yep. you know. That was something where, where we sort of found, you know, where a loophole was kind of, in inverted commas, was found in the system. And... Um, you know, and they they ran with it and made bank on it. You know, from something that uh, a user went and, and discovered or or you know exploited. Excellent. Well, now uh, we should discuss um, moving forward uh, changes to next year. So we're not going to have the RC like we have it now. We're going to yeah. have uh, and and not not because Jason and I have had a fight. We're, we're going to have. Uh, Jason, hopefully, um, going off and doing a few, uh, what I'm going to call almost directorial. Um, uh, yeah, rattles. I'm not going to say too much yet because we want to record a few episodes and get them out the door first. But yeah, definitely going to um, uh, step away. I guess, I guess, the the tech when we first started, when we first started doing the RC Red Center, there was literally. You had the only red one in the co- in the country here, or one of very few reds in the world, mm-hmm. red ones. Um, there was no 5D. Uh, there was nothing. Literally, it was like HVX 200, whatever. There was like P2 cameras. There was the Genesis. Um, wow. There was um, the Genesis, and then the um, the the F Sony F35, and I guess the. This is, is that what it was? F thirty five, yeah, the F thirty five, um, and that was pretty much it. Maybe you know there was the Sony F the F nine hundred. I guess was still lingering there. There was very little that was known about digital. Post houses didn't know about it. Workflow was. I think if you remember when I first said you need to do a podcast because I want to shoot digital and no one knows how the hell what the hell I'm doing and everyone thinks I'm a weirdo and post houses just shake their heads at what I'm trying to do. No one gets it. Obviously, we are now from where are where were we? Uh, April two thousand and eight. Second of April two thousand and eight was the first episode, 
of the uh, of Red Center, and we are obviously in a very different arena now. Everybody knows pretty much what they're doing. There's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of blogs. There's a lot of podcasts. There's a lot of information, and we're all firmly in the digital field. And I guess I want to. Uh, there is a, there is some fantastic resources out there for getting the daily news out there, uh, and I think. Uh, so I don't really want to necessarily compete with that, and that's it's it's quite hard to keep up with that, and it makes and it makes a show. It kind of dates a show a fair bit, I guess. The what what um, what you're discuss, discussing technically uh, this month doesn't necessarily apply six months from now. So I want to kind of move away from that, make it a bit more sort of craft based. Um, so there'll be hopefully be a new show next year um, uh, where we'll be discussing the creative side of things and or the advertising side of things i guess and the the joy and the pain of um making um commercial content um in 2016 and uh uh i guess more from from a directorial and or there'll still be you know camera tech because I I still have definitely have have own own gear and have it on my shoulder daily but it's probably more how how uh, I guess how how it how that tech um, lets me create what I want to create, and rather than getting too bogged down in workflow, it'll be more from shooting and on up, and and yeah. So that that's the plan. Not going to say too much yet, but the idea would be to we'll get a few we'll get a few episodes in the can before we really launch and um, get it out there. But I'm sure we will use this feed to then um, announce and let you know what's happening with the next the Whereas next phase. I'm going to go in a different direction because I actually am interested in the geeky techie stuff. So I'm going to do some interviews and some pieces with uh, people discussing specifically um, workflow and tech and stuff because, uh, hey, that's kind of my background. Um, but again, <laughs> you should really need nothing into this in terms of uh, uh, Jason and I. Yes, yes, yes. But um, yeah, so uh, the yeah. other thing is um, I always enjoy doing interviews and so uh, typically that's what I do. So, I'll be doing a bit more of an interview uh, kind of uh, thing. I think yours is more of a discussion. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it'll be more of a it'll be a two-person rant. forum thing. Yeah, I'm going to we... do some more interviews and tech. And actually, yeah. I'd like to just be able to discuss some stuff that I've always you know, felt a little constrained uh, on geeking out on here. So, for example, you know, um, this is one of the ones that was on this week's thing. Like, you know, why a 17-cube lot why a 33 cube lot like what does that mean like you know and when we're talking about um you know large uh dynamic range you know and high dynamic range like what is the simpty standard for that and what the heck does that mean and people are talking about nits and how do they actually work and what do i care about them and how does that you know relate to anything when when this stuff comes up um it's easy just to sort of see things like black bodies and um and if you look them up on Wikipedia, you get, uh, you know, something being, um, you know, a black body at the melting point of plutonium. And that doesn't seem like a very helpful thing, right? The amount of radiation that's coming out at that level. I'd like to explore more the, okay, let me explain how this works. And I'll relate it back to candle lights and candle power and just how this kind of happens. And and we do that, obviously, already uh, at FX Guide. But that's kind of my sweet spot, as it were. It's the I, I see it as a bit of an interpreter. Um, colloquializing if you like sometimes cutting some corners but getting us from the hardcore tech to uh kind of a okay so somebody's yelling about some simply standard i actually know enough about that to know that they're just 
to call them out on it or to understand where it is or it isn't important. Um, but without having to, you know, do entire sets of diagrams. I'm thinking I might do a bit more video, Jace, um, mm -hmm. and publish that. And to that end, Jason will actually probably be featuring in one of those. Yes, uh, help. in uh, in January. We're also, of course, going to be doing more uh, DOP courses over at FXPHE. And again, Jason will be helping out. Though that's Ben Allen's uh, course. That's a bit of a leak, um, but that will be happening uh, in the January uh, 2016 term over at FXPHD.com. But um, yeah, so that's the kind of stuff we're doing, and I'm sure that we will have uh, reunion RC apps between the two of us. But I'm just sure. we'll try and. Uh, and uh, change the uh, the format around. Having said that, if you'd like to email us, um, email us as just uh, Mike S at fxguide.com or uh, Twitter us. Um, Jason is obviously at Wingrove and I'm uh, at Mike Seymour because we'd really like to get your feedback and get your thoughts. Um, a lot of people pointed out that they're really cranky that we don't do the RC more often. I was having this discussion yesterday with a DOP who was saying exactly that, a really good friend of ours, and he was like, well, the thing is, you know, there's sort of like not a lot of this kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but reality on our website, we don't get a huge amount of traffic. And he was like, well, it's quality over quantity. It's like when you're listening to this discussion, there's no yeah. discussion like it. That being said, in all honesty, um, you know, there's no financial model for this. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's There's no uh, sponsor support because yep. the numbers just aren't big enough to, to warrant that. And comparison to some of the other stuff we do at FX Guide, which is like hundreds of thousands of, you know, uh, viewers and listeners and stuff this is um and for way smaller and being completely selfishly you know for me the time involved to come to over you know the week or two between episodes to build the lists of the gear and gather all the information and make it into a into a show no, into show notes and to you know to come to the table with a lot of stuff to talk about uh and then to then for that to become an episode that then I guess does become a little bit dated or is a bit time sensitive um, is is hard. It's there's there's a lot of hours involved before coming to the mic and then a couple of hours to to record well, it. Well, as we and always so said, so I'd rather to... for me personally devote my energy to do something that is more uh, is less revolving around time sensitive tech and is more about yes, there will be a tech bent to it, but it is more the how that makes me more creative and a little bit, a little bit, a little bit less um, um, of of the moment and something that you could listen to six months or a year down the track and still get value from. Yeah, but in in fairness, we also tried to avoid just reading press releases, and the trouble with just reading press releases is that's easy. Yes, um, you know if you've got to sit with some cameras and play with them and do some tests and stuff for a while before you're willing to talk about them on air, yeah. then that makes for just a huge, uh, hugely bigger commitment. Anyway, that being said, right, like uh, I can't thank you guys enough because uh, the RC has this incredibly dedicated <laughs> super people that, that email me and ping me and tell me to get off my butt and do another one. Yes. Um, and we love doing them. Don't get me wrong. It's just, uh, you know, similarly um, as to you guys, uh, you know, one needs to... Uh, to be productive in one's life. So Yeah. So look, you know, I'm opinionated. I like to get my <laughs> opinion out there. But I do I feel more comfortable talking about stuff that I know and rather than talking about gear that I haven't necessarily tested and I you know, definitely want to make it all more about um talking about work that I know and uh how to do it and be more of a guide that way rather than spouting off about equipment that uh, I don't, haven't haven't had a chance to get my hands on you know I, I can't test everything 
and uh, I can only sort of talk about, I'd rather talk about experiences and, and, and the here and now rather than uh, fleeting gear endless that, that, that comes and then never gets released. <laughs> that is very frustrating. <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, and I, uh, I can't help myself because I love geeky tech that's of the moment and uh, equations. Go for it. Uh, I will be that listening. Being said, that being said, please send us uh, your notes, your info, and your ideas, your questions or whatever. And also, if you are somebody, and this I'm speaking now for myself, that would like to uh, do a guest um, session on the, uh, this new thing that will happen in 2016 in this feed, but uh, with me, like an interview thing, like you've got a project you want to talk about, um, please, I'd love to hear um, because we have done in the history of the RC a bunch of interviews, and I've always enjoyed them. Um, and uh, we want to sort of do that a bit more. So we'll be getting uh, other DOPs and uh, people involved. Um, but as I say, we'll also be peppering that feed uh, completely with hopefully Jason's directorial perspectives um, yes. from the man himself. And others. And others, yes. Okay, so that's, that's it for 2015. This is the ultimate uh, episode of the RC. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks to everybody that was posting uh, in Twitter with um, notifications. I was thinking about saying in advance that we we're going to be doing this, but I was so worried that something had come up at the last minute and we wouldn't do yeah. the show. And then as it has done, as it does in the done past. like eight times before. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah. So anyway, that didn't happen. But I just was worried that uh, if you guys were posting stuff and then that RC didn't happen, then I'd get lynched. Yeah. So stick with this feed and obviously follow both of us on 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 Twitter and yeah, sticks. Keep subscribing to the RC feed. We will uh, more to come in next year. It's uh, it's not over. It's just evolving. <laughs> Thanks, guys. See ya. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Send your questions or comments to rc at fxguide.com. Copyright 2011. FX Guide LLC.